You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about Grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. I've been watching this stuff in the Ukraine pretty much nonstop, and uh, maybe many of you are sort of in the same place I am, where it's just, I mean, my heart's just been crying out to God, and I've been praying, and I mean, there was even a time, I don't know, Friday or Saturday, where I I went to to Christy, and I made the mistake of Kenley was in the room, and I was like, I'm getting a plane ticket, I'm going to Ukraine. I was like, I gotta do something. Kenley just started freaking out, you know, ah. She made me this little Ukraine bracelet with dad on it just because she was trying to do her part too, you know. Um, But it's hard. But I pray that in the midst of this moment that our hearts are breaking. Uh, I pray that we are not a people and, and God forbid that this would be a church where we would watch atrocity and not tremble. I prayed to God this is not a place where we will overlook this. Uh, because it hasn't yet affected us personally. Because if that's the church that this is, then God should shut the doors of this church. I pray that this is a place where we will embrace the pain of a hurting world. Because this is who we're called to be. And it's hard. It's really hard uh, to watch this stuff and to, and to not be able to do anything about it. As a matter of fact, I, I like, you know, and sometimes I'm human, we don't always handle it, right? We, we were having dinner last night and we were having steak. You know, and my daughter started to complain about the steak. And I was like, wrong time to complain about steak. (laughs) And no, (laughs) not this time. Uh, Just because we are so incredibly blessed and fortunate in this world. For whatever reason, not not by our doing. um, But for some reason, they're going through what they're going through. And we're going through what we're going through. But those are our brothers. Guys, there's millions of Christians in that country. And so if if you've turned away from it, turn, turn towards it. Be aware of it. And not just, not just there. I mean, there's great pain in this city. Many of you guys are from East End or Sheridan from, from Landmark. You're from around these parts. And you know this is a city with great pain. We know it here because we're a magnet for broken people in this church. Thank you, God. But this is a city where there is, is great pain and there's poverty and there's disease and, and there's, there's a abnormally high rates of suicide and addiction. For the amount of people we have, there is great pain in our communities. There's great division in our communities. If you hadn't seen that over the last two years, you're not paying attention. We've got school board meetings with people who go to church with each other, calling each other evil. You know what I mean? It's the, there's division in this community. Don't get me wrong, there's beauty, and I love it. And I love this place, and this is where God has called me to take my stand. Um, but I take a stand for good, knowing that I do it amongst great pain. And so today we're going we're gonna to look at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I know you're like, that's a weird transition for that story. How many of you ever heard that story before? Anyone ever heard the story of Sodom and Gomorrah before? Yeah, I'm willing to bet, even if you didn't grow up in church, you have some like, level of familiarity with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so my prayer is that today we might see this with new eyes, no matter how many times we've heard this or, or whatever we've been uh, led to believe about this story, that maybe today we don't see this as the story of what God is against, But we see it as the story of what God is for. And that is that God invites his sons and daughters to partner with him for the purpose of fighting pain. That God wants to use people like us to bring order in a world where there is much chaos. You know, there's a a lot of like church matrix for how you evaluate the health of your church. 
And most of those little kind of sites where you evaluate the health of your church sort of boil down to two things of how you evaluate the health of your church. Can anyone guess what they are, by the way? Anyone want to play a little audience participation time? What Attendance. That's one. What's the second one? Money. That's right. Dollars and noses. That's, that's how you evaluate the effectiveness of your church. And I think there is some truth in that, that when, you know, if you have a church where people are attending and where giving is good and where you can give back to the community, and we're trying to invest $200,000 in local missions this year. Yeah, that, that, those are good things. And so there's good in that. But I think maybe a better, the more I read the Bible and the more I watch the world and the more I think, I think maybe a better evaluation of the health of our church instead of dollars and noses would be how many people in this church are willing to pray extraordinary prayers for things that don't affect them personally. Like how many people in this church, will this be a church full of people who will pray extraordinary prayers even when the problem is not necessarily theirs? I think that might be a better way to evaluate the health of your church. Because what I've noticed about prayer, and maybe you guys have noticed this, and it's not bad to ask for prayers for yourself on Facebook. I think there's great value in that, even though I think there's almost no value in Facebook. But I think there's great value in that. But what tends to happen with prayer is people don't really care about public prayer until the public prayer actually is something that they're personally passionate about. Right? I mean, think about it. Let's say we had a prayer meeting tonight, which, by the way, we're having our, 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 our um, covenant gathering tonight. It's going to be awesome. We're going to pray. I know some of you guys are online. You're like, I can't come. That's all right. This is a, uh, the covenant gathering should be a demonstration of what's already known. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a symbol of what's already known. So if you can't make it, but you're here working and you're online, you're doing your thing, we get that. This, the name of this church is Grace. We're not going, you can't come because you didn't come to the God. That's not us. But in, 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 the, midst, in the midst of these things... There's got to be something about prayer that goes beyond just my own personal needs. But when I see prayer on Facebook, the things we share and the things where it's always like, I need this. So if I was to have a prayer gathering tonight and say, hey guys, show up tonight, we're going to pray for Ukraine. I'm guessing there'd be 40 people here. And I think that's a, that's a rather aggressive guess. If I said, show up tonight, we're going to pray for your kid. Would you come to that? I think most of us would. Because there's something inside of us that doesn't want to get attached if it's not our problem. But what we see in the Bible, and what we're going to see today with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, is just because it's not your problem doesn't mean it's not your responsibility, especially when it comes to prayer. That God actually invites His people into prayer in a way that goes beyond just asking God for what you need. And so today, let's look at Sodom and Gomorrah with new eyes. Genesis 18. We're going to open up. All right, so if you got your Bible, go to Genesis 18. Um, we're, going to be, we're going to read a lot of Scripture today, so if you didn't come for Scripture, you're going to be disappointed. But God has invited Abraham to into this big thing where God is going to bless the world through Abraham, right? And Abraham has been a failure. Y'all remember what he's done? He's offered his wife to some other men, and then his wife basically offered him another woman. It's just a disaster as far as marriage goes. Like, nothing about this is good marriage rules. He's just failed and failed, but God is still doing something special through him. So Genesis 18, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Okay, so I'm not really sure I fully understand everything going on here. Abraham has encountered the Lord. The Lord has come to Abraham, but then there's three men. 
So it's not just God by himself. Maybe it's God and two angels. I think that's the general assumption here, is that you've got God with two angels. They've come to Abraham, and now they're having a conversation with Abraham. So let's, let's tune in on the conversation. Genesis 18, 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom. That's Sodom and Gomorrah, this city. They're apparently up on a hill. They're looking down on the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham walked along with them to see on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Okay, so the wording in this is kind of weird. But basically what has happened here is God is looking down on Sodom and Gomorrah and he's planning what he's going to do. God is preparing his judgment because God is righteous and just and, and where there is great sin, there must be consequence. And so God is planning it and he looks at Abram and says, I'd like to invite you into this. Do you want to know what I'm about to do? Do you want to have a conversation with me? And what we see here is so important to understand about prayer. Prayer is not you inviting God into a conversation. So many times we pray and say, God, hear our prayer, hear our prayer. God, hears your prayer. Prayer is not you inviting God. Prayer is your response to an invitation God has already given you. God has spoken to every single person in this room. And, and like there are some rude people like me who occasionally say something and then walk off before you get the chance to respond. God's not that person. When God speaks, he stays and listens. And so God has spoken to every single person in this room through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And through Christ, God has spoken to us. So when we go to God in prayer, we are responding to what God has already spoken. And what God spoke was, I so love East End that I'll give my own son that the people of that community might have life. And so when we go to God in prayer for this city or for Ukraine, we are responding to what God has already spoken to us about this city. And so we're invited into a conversation with God for the purpose of eradicating the pain in the city. Genesis 18. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see what they have done if it's as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. All right, so God is now saying, I've heard this outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to go check it out and see if it is what I think it is because the sin is so great and the pain is so great. And you should read that and go, well, doesn't God know already? Yeah, he does. The point of this verse is that God is a righteous judge. He doesn't respond with his wrath based on what some human says. He responds based on what God knows. And so God is personally checking it out because God will make his decisions based on godly knowledge, not ours. And so there's an outcry in Sodom and Gomorrah. And the outcry is from hurting people. Hurting people who are experiencing great pain from the sin in Sodom and Gomorrah. And what is the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? I'm willing to bet that at least 65 to 70% of you have an idea already about what the sin in Sodom and Gomorrah was. But maybe it wasn't what you thought. See, the Bible does speak a word on, on human sexuality. There's no doubt about that. Genesis 1, he speaks a word about this equality between male and female and that they would unite for the purpose of imaging God. But Sodom and Gomorrah is not a story of human sexuality. 
And so I'm going to tell you in some graphic words what's going on right now. So if you have a kid, you might want to earmuff them for a second because there's no way around this except for graphic language. What's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah is nothing about uh, human sexuality. It's about pride and power. It's a group of men gang raping someone else for the purpose of demonstrating power over them. This is not about sexual attraction. This is about This still happens, by the way, guys. There are places in the world where tribal men, not based on their sexuality, heterosexual men, will gang rape other men for the purpose of demonstrating. I know you're like, really? Yeah, this happens in the world. And it happened back then. And that is what the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is. And if you don't believe me, listen to Ezekiel. This is Ezekiel chapter 16. And it says, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty, and they did horrible things. Therefore, I did away with them, as you have seen. What was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? Pride. Sodom and Gomorrah was the place where those with power took from those who didn't have power, where those who had plenty ignored those who were in want, where the wealthy overpowered the poor. That was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, apathy towards people who needed And you know why we don't preach it that way? Because it's easier to preach it another way. If we preach it this way, then the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah actually becomes my sin. And your sin. And the sin of that city becomes the sin of this city. And so when we read about God's wrath against Sodom and Gomorrah, we're reading about God's wrath against a place not so different than this. And that should change the way we read the story. In a place where the poor are overlooked. In a place where people who have food step over those who don't. In a place where we don't care about what's going on over there because we've got everything we need over here. That was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I think it's important that we see that. And so God looked on this city and he saw this sin. And then he invites Abraham into a conversation. Because listen, God's sovereign will is going to come to pass. We all believe that. We we know this. And one day, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Christ is Lord. And one day we will all be returned to Eden as God's will is going to come to pass. His supreme sovereign will. But God has a will for individual people and individual peoples and for cities and places. And God invites us into a conversation about that part of his will. So in Genesis 18, I'm going to read you guys a long piece of scripture here. But I think it's worth it. Genesis 18:23. Then Abraham approached God and said, "Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked because he knows God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah?" And so Abraham says, "What if there are 50 righteous people in the city?" Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? He's begging God. And the Lord said, if I find 50, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abram spoke up again and said, Now that I have been so bold as to speak to God, listen, for I am nothing but dust and ashes, but what if the number of righteous people is less than 50? We destroy the whole city for a lack of five people. Say, I found 45. I will not destroy it, God says. Abraham speaks to him again and says, What if only 40? He's bargaining with God. 
What if only 40 people are found there? For the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then Abraham says, listen, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 people can be found? I will not destroy it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if 20 people can be found there? For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it, God says. Then Abraham says, may the Lord not be angry. Let me speak just once more. What if I can find 10? For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it, God says. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left. And Abraham returned home. All right, so they're having this conversation. And, and first off, who is Abraham praying for when he goes to God? God's about to destroy a city. There's about to be wrath. Who is Abraham praying for? The whole city. Abraham's got family members in that city. But his first Facebook post is not about his family. It's about the city. His first request to God isn't save me and my tribe. It's God, I'm begging you for the city. I'm praying for all the people of the city, even the people who are going to come against my family. I think we, get, we have to see that, the, that the, the extraordinary prayer, the righteous prayer, isn't just God protect my people. It's God love the people who would even harm my people. God, I'm praying for the whole city, everybody, the people who look like me, the people who don't look like me, the people who act like me, the people who don't act like me. God, I'm praying for the very people that want to kill me. Because my extraordinary righteous prayer is that you would show mercy on the entire city. And Abraham is imploring God by reminding God of God's own promises. God, I know, you, I know you are just. And I know you are holy. But I also know you're merciful. Will you show mercy? Guys, we've got to get this. Tonight, some of you are going to commit to being part of this place for a year. And I pray that the people who commit to this house will commit to extraordinary prayer for this city. Because if this is not a church where we commit to praying extraordinary prayers for people who aren't like us, then in my opinion, we're not really much of a church. This is who we're called to be. The people who will stand in the gap for those who are hurting. And where there is pain, we hear it. And where there is pain, we respond to it. What we refuse to do is ignore it because we still got plenty of food on our plate. And so the conversation in verse 24, God, Abraham says, what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare it? Will you spare this place for the sake of 50 righteous people? Abraham knows some things. So he's having this conversation with God. And one of the things Abraham knows is that a little sin can affect a lot of people. Right? Are any of you elementary school teachers in here? Kristen, you're an elementary. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on you for a second because you're an elementary school teacher. Don't do this. I know you never would. My elementary school teacher used to do this. When I would get in trouble, she would say, okay, who's going to tattle? This is, this is a true story. She would say, someone needs to tell me who did whatever, who stuck his pencil in the ceiling, whatever. And if no one would tell on me, she would make us all miss recess. She would punish the whole class for my sin because she didn't know that snitches got stitches. The whole class would get punished for my sin. And I you know, oh, used to drive me nuts. But that's what she knew. And, and Abraham knows, Abraham knows the sin of a few can stain the many. And Abraham, when he's talking to God, he doesn't say, God, I am so righteous that I know you will hear my prayer because I'm so much. He says, I am dust and ashes. I'm nothing. Because Abraham knew the truth of what many of us should know, that some of the pain in his community was actually caused by him. 
And as much as we want to blame them for the pain in our community or those people or that thing for blah, 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 the truth is much of the pain in our community is caused by our apathy towards the pain in our community. That's the truth. Much of the pain that we see is caused by the fact that the church continues to turn its back on pain. And Abraham knew this. And so he goes to God knowing, knowing that a little sin ruins the whole bunch and knowing that he is a sinner and God has shown him great mercy. And he just he says, God, I know. I know you're just and righteous, and I know a little sin contaminates the whole class. But he also knew something incredible about God, that God is merciful. And so he says, God, I'm asking you, will you take the righteousness of a few to cover the sins of the many? God, will you, I know the sin of a few can contaminate the many, but now, God, I'm asking you, will you take the righteousness of a few to restore the many? And God says, yeah. And God is like enjoying this conversation. Abraham says, if I find 50 righteous, and God says, yes, because God loves what Abraham is doing. He's pleading for the city. And Abraham says, if I find 40 righteous, God says, yes, yes, 30, yes, 30 right. You found 30 righteous people. 10, yes. And then the conversation just stops. And don't you wonder why it just stopped? Shouldn't have Abraham said, okay, what if you just find one? Just one. But the conversation stops. And do you know why the conversation stopped? Because what Abraham learned during that prayer was what God already knew. That there wasn't anyone righteous in the city. And so the city wouldn't be saved because of the righteousness of, of one because there, there wasn't one that was righteous. And what this story points us to is this. If there was one who was righteous that the righteousness of the one would have the power and the potential to take away the pain of the many. That if there was only one who was righteous, if there was one who was righteous, if there was one who was holy, one who was spotless, that his holiness could actually cover and, and, and deal with the sins of the many. That if there was one being on earth who is completely without sin, that his lack of sin would actually cover my magnitude of sin. If there was only one but there wasn't one. But for those of us who know Jesus right now, I pray something is welling up inside of you. Because there is one. There is one. There is one who is righteous. And there is one who is holy. And I hope the first thing you acknowledge is you are not that one. And I am not that one. But I know the one. And guys, there's a hope for this city. And the hope is found in the one. And there's a hope for Ukraine. And the hope is found in the one. And there's a hope for Putin. There's a hope for Russia because hope is found in the one. And the one we know is so powerful that he can actually burst in rooms and transform minds and open hearts and change the world. The one we know can bring life where there is death. The one we know can heal racism, can conquer wounds, can defeat your past. The one we know can repair boundaries, can anything that's broken, he has the power to restore it. We know the one. We are not the one, but we better give our lives to the one because it's time they know him. The world desperately needs the truth we have. Guys, and I've been mad for four days. Four days because I've watched sin take a shot against us. For four days I've watched and been able to do nothing as people died. And what I've realized in those four days is I do have a job to do. And my job is to sit here and preach Christ crucified until the whole world hears. 
I can't go win that battle today. God Almighty, I wish I could. I wish I could go there today and fight. I can't do that. But I'll win the battle here today. And I'll win the battle at Eastern Cafe today. And I will win the battle today because I will refuse to ignore the pain in this community. And if you want to be part of this church, you need to decide to fight the battle. This will not be a place full of passive people who sit and watch as our community, our country, and our world goes to hell. We will be the place who brings peace to it. We will love in the most selfless, ridiculous way the world has ever seen. I saw on the video some guy laid his body in front of a tank. Did y'all see this? He laid down in front of a tank. There is a tank in this world, and it's sin. Lay yourself in front of it. Protect somebody. Love somebody. Quit holding on to Jesus as if he belongs to us alone. Guys, I'm serious. There should be a righteous anger in you right now against the sin and the pain in this world. And if that's not there in you today, please pray that God will break your heart and open your mind. The world needs us. The city needs us. If not us, who? If not now, when? If you're not watching things going, y'all know I'm not like a doomsday person, but man, if you're not watching things in the world right now and going, things have changed, then you're blind. God has a tool to bring peace to this world. And it's sitting in this room. And if all it does is sit in this room every week, then I pray that God shuts this room down. It is time to stand. It is time to worship as if your life depends on it. It's time to get your kids to learn empathy for what's happening in the rest of the world. It's time that we learn empathy for what's happening in the rest of the world. It's time that Christians begin to look like Christ. Today's the day. Extraordinary prayers. Extraordinary people who refuse to turn from the world's extraordinary pain. I'm going to war. I pray to God you're coming with me. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.